a, a dear friend of our family died two years ago, about, aged 99 years, one month, and five days. She was, in 1934, Miss Charleston, a beautiful woman. And she loved this place very well. And she used to say, in her best Charleston accent, darling, no wait, I didn't do that right, darling, if it weren't for the no everybody would want to live in Charleston. <laughs> True enough, right, Charleston, it's a beautiful place. We know this as a city that has won multiple awards, three years in a row, best city in America, right, one year, best city in the world. By Condé Nast Travel Magazine. We know that people are literally moving here in droves and not for no reason. Charleston is a place of beauty and abundance. And so is the promised land for the people of ancient Israel. God described it to them over and over as a land flowing with milk and honey, a land of abundance, a land of beauty. But it was more than that. And God's people could not live well in that land. They could not thrive there and flourish there. They could not be blessed in that land. Neither could they be a blessing to others in that land if they did not see the promised land for all that it was. And the same thing is true for us this morning. We have been studying the book of Deuteronomy for lo these many years. Because we have this as a goal. We want to live well in this land where God has placed us. We want to thrive here. We want to flourish here. We want to experience the blessing of God on ourselves for sure. But in addition to that, we want to be a blessing for others. And the only way for us to accomplish that, just as it was true for the people of ancient Israel, is for us to see the land for what it truly is. A place of beauty, yes. A place of abundance, yes. But this place is also a battleground. And so for the sake of our city, you and I, like the people of ancient Israel, must be willing to engage in that battle. I realize this is much more of a Father's Day sermon than a Mother's Day sermon. Sorry, ladies, but you know I just... Take it as it comes. And so we have come to Deuteronomy chapter 33. So if you have your Bibles with you, I'm going to ask you to turn there. And when you found your place in Deuteronomy chapter 33, I'm going to ask you to stand and we're going to hear read together the word of the living God. Deuteronomy chapter 31, verse 1 and then verse 7. This is the word of the Lord. This is the blessing that Moses, the man of God, pronounced on the Israelites before his death. And now verse 7. And this he said about Judah. Hear, O Lord, the cry of Judah. Bring him to his people. With his own hands he defends his cause. O be his help against his foes. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you again for your word. It is true. Thank you for your spirit that enables us to see your word as true. And now we pray for the work of your spirit to apply the truth to the hearts and the lives of each one of us in this place as your 
true word goes out. You know the needs of each one here, Father. You know uh, the, the need of our hearts, of our lives. You, you know the ways we need to be redirected by you and your truth. So, Father, we come now before your word with submissive spirits, asking you to teach us and to change us, not only for our good, but mostly for your glory. For we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Just to remind you, Deuteronomy chapter 33 records the last words that Moses speaks to the people of Israel before he dies. And like Jacob before him, the man who fathered these sons after whom these, na- these tribes are named, Moses, before his death, is going to bless each of them. Last week, we looked at the blessing that Moses gave Reuben. This morning, we're going to look at the, the blessing that Moses gives to Judah. And if you don't recognize any of the other tribes uh, of Israel, the sons of Jacob, this one is one that most people recognize. Judah, it's like a, a famous tribe, a, a superstar tribe among all the others. It's Judah that will, the southern kingdom will be named after. And, and we know that Jesus, the Messiah, is going to come from the tribe of Judah. And so that's why we say it's a superstar tribe. So what kind of blessing Do you think Moses would give to this superstar tribe? Listen to it again in verse 7. Hear, O Lord, the cry of Judah. Bring him to his people. With his own hands he defends his cause. Oh, be his help against his foes. Now I found a couple of things unexpected when I began looking at this blessing. And the first is the brevity of it, right? It seems so short. For a superstar tribe like Judah, I would have expected the blessing to be much bigger. I would have thought that Moses would have been more effusive and more lavish and more poetic and more dramatic in his blessing of this particular tribe from whom the Messiah will come. But he's not. Short blessing. Secondly, I found the content of the blessing a little unexpected. I thought for this tribe, the blessing would be something a little more positive. But, in fact, it's rather negative. Judah hears crying to the Lord. Judah's blessing has foes. It's evident as we look at the entire blessing that it has this military battle setting. The Targum, which is the Aramaic paraphrases of the Hebrew scripture, right? The Old Testament written in Hebrew. Hebrew's on the decline. Aramaic is being spoken. It's what Jesus spoke. And so the Aramaic paraphrase of this verse, this blessing is this. Hear, Lord, the prayer of Judah when he goes into battle and bring him back in peace. So how is it that this is a blessing from God through Moses to Judah. Well, I'm so glad you asked that question. Answering it will keep us here just a little while longer. Okay, longer than a little while, but you know how that goes. Are y'all awake this morning? Y'all are a tough crowd today. 
Let's get with it, okay? As was true last week when we looked at the blessing of Reuben, it's true again this week that to understand Moses' blessing on Judah, we need to go back in time and look at Jacob's blessing on his physical son, Judah. And when we look at it, we see that it's completely opposite to Moses' blessing. Jacob's blessing is very long instead of brief, and it's very positive instead of negative. I'm going to read it for you. Genesis chapter 49, verse 8. Jacob says to his son, Judah, your brothers will praise you. Your hand will be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons will bow down to you. You are a lion's cub, O Judah. You return from the prey, my son. Like a lion, he crouches and lies down. Like a lioness, who dares to rouse him? The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet. Until he comes to whom it belongs and the obedience of the nations is his. He will tether his donkey to a vine, his colt to the choicest branch. He will wash his garments in wine, his robes in the blood of grapes. His eyes will be darker than wine and his teeth whiter than milk. Wow, it sounds like everything is coming up roses for Judah. It seems like he's going to have it all. Honor? The praise of his brothers. Any of you here have siblings? You know, you know that thing called sibling rivalry? And the competition that exists sometimes for the attention and the affection of the, the, the parents? Judah's brothers are going to honor him and bow down before him. That's a great blessing. He's going to defeat his enemies and put his hand on their necks. Just picture any cartoon you've seen. Where the big guy is holding the little guy by the neck, right? And his feet are dangling around. That's Judah. He's going to have his enemies by his neck. They're not going to be uh, released from his grasp. Judah will be feared, powerful, like a lion. The king of the beasts who is able to rest undisturbed, securely, like a lioness, defending her cubs. Don't mess with a, a mama lion. Right? Who dares to rouse him? That's Judah. Jacob's blessing speaks of a royal rule for him. Not only is the lion a sign of royalty, he's going to have a scepter in his hand. He's going to have a, a ruler's staff in his hand, and his kingdom is never going to end. Judah's influence is going to go far beyond just the nation of Israel. Jacob says the obedience of the nations will come to him and tribute from those nations will come to him. Judah is going to have great wealth. He's going to wash his garments in wine. Do you know how plentiful the grape harvest has to be in order for wine to be as plentiful as water? And Judah is going to wash his clothes in wine? It's similar to us. Taking the wealthy man, saying he lights his cigars with $100 bills, right? Judah is going to be so rich. Well, this is the blessing of Jacob on his son. It's a long blessing. It's a bright blessing of a glittering future for Judah. Then we come to Moses' blessing, which is brief. And it really doesn't sparkle very much. Has something changed 
Has Jacob's blessing on Judah been supplanted by that of Moses? Not at all. The two blessings work together. The tribe of Judah, gathered before Moses, still have the blessing that Jacob gave to his son Judah. The blessing is unchanged. But that blessing will be realized in a land of beauty and abundance, but only through battle. And so this is God's blessing on his people of all time. For the ancient Israelites, for you and for me, for everyone who came before us and for all those who will come after us, God lets us know that achieving what is promised to us does not come without conflict. The very first promise of the gospel In the Garden of Eden, Genesis chapter 3, verse 16. God says that an offspring will come from Eve, who had not yet been a mother. That's God's promise. And then he says that that offspring will crush the head of Satan. That's the conflict. It's the promise of God. It's realized through conflict. And so it is and has been and will be for all time. You and I are people of the promise, right? A bright future is in front of us. And my dilemma at this point was which passage of Scripture to choose to read to you and and to me to remind us of what awaits us. What came first to my mind was 1 John chapter 3, verse 2. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him because we shall see Him as He is. Thank you. Is that good news to you? It's a beautiful future hope for all of us who are believers in Christ. But then I had to choose the passage I really wanted to choose. I could not read to you from Revelation chapter 5. And so I want to read to you from Revelation chapter 5. And you're welcome to turn in your Bible and follow along. I'm, I'm reading from that chapter. Here is a vision of future blessing that the Lord gives to the Apostle John. And it is a vision that is as powerful and motivational about what awaits as the blessing that Jacob gave to Judah. Here we go. Revelation chapter 5, the Apostle John writes, Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides, And sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice. Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll. Or even look inside it. I wept and wept. Because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, 
the lion of the tribe of Judah. The root of David has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. And then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain. Standing at the center of the throne. Encircled by the four living creatures and elders. And he went and he took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it. The four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb. Each one had a harp and they sang a new song saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God and they will reign on earth. Then I looked. And heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands and ten thousand times ten thousand. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard... Every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. The four living creatures said amen and the elders fell down and worshiped. Now I know that that is a quick reading of powerful verses that don't allow us time for the emotional response that we should have when we hear a passage like that. In some ways, it's like the quintessential picture that the parent paints for the children of heaven. Little rough and tumble Johnny says, Mom, Dad, what will heaven be like? Oh, Johnny, we will sit on clouds with harps and we will worship Jesus all day. And the glow on the parents' face shows they've been transported to heaven. But little rough and tumble Johnny's thinking, yuck, I don't ever want to go to heaven. But listen, Revelation 5, it's a vision of what heaven will be like, of our future blessing. And John writes it, and God inspires it to inspire us and to create within us hope and longing for what will be. It's beautiful, right? It's abundant, right? Just like the blessing given to Judah. But it is not obtained apart from battle. Did you hear the description of the lion of Judah? The lamb. The lamb was what? Slain. With his blood, the lamb purchased for God persons from every tribe, language, and people, and nations. What will be, will not be achieved apart from battle. And so we return to Judah. And what we know about this tribe, we know that Judah was the vanguard, the tribe that led the way. God organized the people into tribes after he led them out of slavery in Egypt. And he organized them in such a way That Judah would be first. Numbers chapter 2 verse 9. And all the men assigned to the camp of Judah. 
according to their divisions, number 186,400, they will set out first. And so the, the tribe of Judah had to lead the way into battle. Jacob's blessing is still Jacob's blessing. It's still God's ordained future for Judah, but it's a blessing not yet realized. To realize the blessing, Judah must do battle. He must lead into battle. So what does that mean for Judah? It means that being first, being the vanguard, being in the front, means that the tribe of Judah would take the first hit in battle, right? All the arrows of the enemy, all of them directed at Judah, who's leading the way. It means that Judah must demonstrate exceptional courage. It means that the tribe of Judah should be the first and the very best prayers. And so we read in the blessing, Hear, O Lord, the cry of Judah. Judah must cry out before the Lord. As they lead the way into battle. We read in the blessing. Oh be his help against his foes. Because of the courage of Judah. We read in the blessing. With his own hands he defends his cause. Judah fights with his own hands. And so that future blessing. That long bright one. With which Jacob blessed Judah will not come about in this world apart from battle. And so, yes, the promised land is a place of beauty. Yes, the promised land is a place of abundance. And yes, the promised land is a land of battle as well. The connection to us is clear. Jesus is our vanguard, right? He goes before us. He leads the way. Jesus says, follow me into life. I'll go first. You stay behind. And as our vanguard, Jesus took the hit for us. Make no mistake about it. God's wrath is against sin and death. He takes aim at both and both of them. Sin and death will be forever destroyed. Because Jesus steps in. Jesus steps in front and takes the arrows, the arrows of God's wrath against us. Against sin and against death for us. Isaiah 53. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Hit. He was pierced for our transgressions. Hit. He was crushed for our iniquities. Hit. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. Hit. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Hit. He was oppressed and afflicted. Hit. Hit. He was cut off out of the land of the living. Hit. He he poured out his soul to death. Hit. He bore the sin of many. Hit. Jesus, the Lion of Judah, is our vanguard. The Apostle Paul writes in Ephesians 6 as well that the enemy has fiery darts and he shoots them against God's people. And it's only the shield of faith, faith 
in Christ, our vanguard, the Lion of Judah, that can extinguish those flaming arrows so that they drop to the ground, extinguished and powerless to penetrate our hearts. Jesus led the way to our blessing. Heaven is a certainty. And God is not going to take that away from us. And just as the blessing of Jacob to Judah was not taken away by Moses, only expanded, so the blessing for us will be achieved only through battle. For us, we'll be blessed as a church. We'll live well in this land only when we see this land for what it is. A place of beauty? Yes. A place of abundance? Yes. This sanctuary, where are we? In one of the most affluent neighborhoods in Charleston, surrounded by multi-million dollar houses. And when we look around, it doesn't look very much like a battleground, does it? And so when we look, we don't think of it as a place in which we must do battle. I don't know what kind of life you would envision for yourself. But I bet it could, if it could look any way you wanted it to or I wanted it to, it would be full of lots of beauty and lots of abundance, right? That's what we like. But Jesus presents a different picture to his disciples in the upper room the last night of his life. He says, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world. Battle language, isn't it? Trouble comes to us in this world, but in Christ there is peace. The world attempts to rob us peace of peace, but Jesus overcomes the world. That's true for you. And it's true for me, and it's true for every person who has ever lived in this world. In this world, there is trouble, and only in Christ there is peace. And so you need to know that this morning. If you don't have peace, if there's turmoil, if there's trouble in your life, the only peace you will ever find is peace in Jesus Christ. I don't like to tell extreme stories. Because Christians take extreme stories and they try to make extreme stories normative, right? But listen, they're still stories because they were extreme in the first place. But I got to tell you the story of John Bradford. And it's extreme, but he has two quotes that I so have to read to you this morning. So you're going to hear the story of John Bradford. You ready? Wake up. This is a good one. He was an English reformer. And he lived from 1510 to 1555. And he was nicknamed Holy Bradford, not to make fun of him, but because this man was, was such a, a love the Lord so much, he was so dedicated to God. And he was such a gifted preacher of true biblical faith that he was appointed in 1551 to be the chaplain to King Edward VI. Just so you remember, he's the son of Henry VIII. But when King Henry died in 1553, Edward's, I mean, when Edward died, his sister Mary took the throne. And Mary's goal was to return all of England to the Catholic Church. 
And so she had many, 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 many believers put to death. Within the first month of her reign, she had Bradford arrested and he was put in the Tower of London. But while he was in the Tower, he continued to study, he continued to write. And this is what he wrote to a friend while he was in prison. If you embrace Christ in his robes, you must not think scorn of him in his rags. Such a great quote. We want to embrace the Christ of glory, don't we? The Christ of heaven. We want to join in the song of heaven. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wisdom and glory. But we also must, in this world, embrace the Jesus who wore the rags, who was humiliated just in coming to earth, being incarnate, who suffered, who gave himself for that future glory. Bradford continued, You are one of Christ's lambs. Look therefore to be fleeced, even slain. On July 1st of 1555, Bradford was to be burned at the stake. And so they organized the execution and timed it for 4 o'clock in the morning because Bradford was so well loved by so many people. Kill him at 4 o'clock, who's awake at that time? Surprise! The place was so full that the execution had to be delayed. Nevertheless, Bradford was chained to the stake with a young man named John Leaf. And before the fire was lit, he turned to Leaf And he said this, what a great quote. Be of good comfort, brother, for we shall have a merry supper with the Lord this night. Can you imagine? As the fires are coming, be of good comfort, brother, for we shall have a merry supper with the Lord this night. Future blessing, right? Achieved through conflict. And Bradford's experience may not be normative for us, but man, I pray that his attitude is, right? His courage, his crystal clear view of the world and the battle that we must each do in it. Yesterday, we had a vision meeting for those involved in Christian education here at Redeemer. And in the course of that meeting, we were faced with some some grim statistics, Statistics not meant to cause fear, but rather to inspire us to battle. Here are some of them. 88% of children raised in evangelical homes leave church at 18. Listen, people, there is a battleground for us. And we've got to fight for the individual souls that are represented by that number, 88%. To fight, to keep them close to Christ. 83% of children from committed Christian families end up adopting a secular humanist worldview. There's a battle for us, right? The souls represented by that 83%, we've got to fight for them so that they keep Christ ever before them as they view the world. Only 9% of born-again teens believe in moral absolutes. There's a battleground for us. 91% of them living apart from the standards that God sets for us in His Word. And it's a battleground because you and I know the devastation that comes to the lives of those who will not live by the truth of God's Word. 
48% of millennials are post-Christian. There's a battle for us. Almost half of the largest demographic in our country is now post-Christian. Why should they be? Is it because we've given up the battle? Listen, Christianity, it's a life of beauty. It's a life of abundance that no one should ever want to be over. Oh, I'm over Christianity. I am post-Christian. Those statistics are reality checks for us. And they remind us that in the midst of beauty and abundance, there's also a battle. But we should not fear. We should be inspired. And listen, we, like Judah, must be people of exceptional courage. We, like Judah, must be the first and best prayers. Praying in the midst of battle. We, like Judah, must use our own hands. We must engage in the battle. Here's the good news. You are not in alone. You are not alone. You are in a tribe as well. Except around here we call it something different. We say that we are what? A family on mission together. I'll give you one more chance. We are what? A family on mission together. Family in battle together. So let's be a blessing to each other. Knowing the battle is real. Praying and supporting each other while we fight. And always putting before one another that final blessing. Let's do battle with our own sin. Let's do battle with our own fears. We have them. Let's do battle with our own doubts. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Let's do battle with our own wrong views of God and the the wrong things we think about Him. Let's do battle together. Let's be a blessing to this land in which God has placed us. And let's do battle for the people in this place because we are aware of a reality that they might not be aware of. Because like those Laodiceans that we read about earlier, they may be blinded by beauty and abundance. But we know their true need, right? They need Jesus. And there is a battle for their souls to keep them from Jesus. So let's get beneath the surface. Let's get past the beauty and the abundance and see this place for what it is. What every place is. It's a battleground. And let's know this. Always know this. The lion of Judah leads the way. And he fights for us and he fights with us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you again for your word. Father, we do ask that through the power of your spirit, you would open our eyes to see spiritual reality around us. Father, let us not be deceived by appearances only, by the beauty we see, by the abundance we see. Lord, we need your supernatural vision to see true reality. 
And the true reality, Lord, is that people in this place and everywhere need Jesus. That is the greatest need of all. And so, Father, I pray that you would show us the true ugliness of the person who's lost in sin, the bankruptcy and the poverty of people who don't know the joy of life eternal that's found in Christ. Lord, show us that everywhere we look, everywhere we look. Show that to us as reality so that we will be people like Judah who lead the way in battle. So we will be people of exceptional courage, Lord, unafraid to speak the truth of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Father, let's be willing to take hits for other people for, for their sake. Father, we thank you that you are with us Strengthen our hands for the battle. And we pray that because we are in this place, because we believe that the battle is real, because we believe that we are the warriors, because of that belief, Lord, that this city would be a different place, filled with more and more people who know you and love you and claim you as Savior and Lord. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.